was based on a book called Heaven is for Real that just chronicles the stories that this little boy told um, from when he was dead um, on the operating table and went to another place. And I don't know if you've seen that movie or read the book, but, you know, it brings up a lot of questions. It's like, could, could that have really happened? Um, is the kid just making stuff up? Uh, why would he make it up if he is, you know, if, if he isn't and wherever he went is real? How do I get there? Like, I want to go wherever he went. Um, who will I meet if I do get there? Does everybody go to the same place? Is there truly life after death? A whole lot of questions are brought up when we bring up this subject, but this sense that there is life after death has shaped every civilization in human history. I don't know if you know this, but, but uh, you know, Australian re- re- Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the Western Islands. Um, uh, the, the early Finns, it was an, an island in the distant east. Mexicans, Peruvians, Polynesians believed they went to the sun or the moon after their death. Native Americans believed their spirits would hunt the spirits of the buffalo. Ancient Babylonian legends refers to a resting place of heroes and a tree of life. Ancient Egyptians embalmed bodies and actually left maps in the, in the caskets, the sarcophaguses, um, so that they would find their way in the afterlife. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic um, in the Elysian fields with their horses grazing nearby. Anthropological evidence really suggests that every culture has an innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is, um, including our culture today. Like if you survey Americans today, um, 97% of people believe there is a heaven, 68% of people believe there is a hell. Only 2% of people believe that um, they are going to hell, but 98% of people know somebody that's going to hell, okay? So that's, that's what they know. Um, our beliefs in heaven, it's, it's kind of led to a lot of jokes in our culture. Maybe you've heard this one, a man appears before the pearly gates, and jokes always start that way, um, you know, to St. Peter, and, and St. Peter says, have you done anything of particular merit? And this, this man just thinks for a second, he says, well, there was this one time um, that I came upon a, a group of high testosterone bikers, and they were threatening a young woman. Woman, and I directed them to leave her alone, um, but they wouldn't listen. So I went up to the biggest, most tattooed um, biker, and uh, I smacked him on the head. I kicked his bike over. I ripped out his nose ring and threw it on the ground, and I told him, leave her alone or you'll answer to me. And St. Peter looked at him, and he was rather impressed, and he kind of says, well, when did this happen? And the man just says, a couple minutes ago. <laughs> so, so where does this idea of the afterlife come from? If you go to what the writers of the Bible have to say, it comes from within every single one of us. Ecclesiastes 3.11, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has set eternity in our hearts. If you wonder why every civilization that we can find any anthropological evidence from believes in an afterlife, it's because it is set in our hearts by God. We bear the thumbprint of God. We're eternal beings made in his image. It's in our hearts. And so, and I, and I look at that and I'm like, it's good that we have eternity set in our hearts, this hope of an afterlife, because as human beings, we have a terminal disease. And that terminal disease is this word right Right here. It's mortality. We all have it. The current death rate, last I checked, which was this morning, it's 100%. Okay, that is the death rate of our species. It's a very scary and a sobering statistic. Every one of us in this room is going to die. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> You're going to die. Thanks for coming. See you later. 
The death rate of 100%, it's really, it's a sad, it's a sobering statistic. Unless you have a view that makes your mortality hope-filled. Unless you have a perspective on life and on the afterlife that does not fill you with dread and worry or fear, but actually fills you with hopefulness. That's a very sad statistic. So today, I just want to give you a, a little heads up of where we're going during this four-week journey. I don't think this is talked about in churches enough. In fact, I think the churches today has completely dropped the ball and missed the boat on what we're talking about in this series. I believe this series is so important. I want to implore you not to miss a single week of it, and I don't want you to come back here next week alone. People need to hear what we're talking about because here's the goal of every week of this series. My goal is for you to walk out of here every Sunday so full of hope that you can hardly stand it. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you my goal is I want you to leave every week of this series so inspired by what God has planned and done for you that you will choose to follow him with your whole life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're in, um, my hope is that you will fall more in love with Jesus through this series and that you will love your life more, you will live on mission more, and you will live with boldness as you look forward to what is to come with peace and even excitement, not worry and dread. That's what I want you to walk out of here with every week. I want you to live with a perspective like the Apostle Paul, who's one of the great Christian church planners in the first century, um, whose his life work was preaching about the kingdom of God, and he wrote most of the New Testament. This was his perspective on this topic of mortality, Philippians 1, verse 21, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. His perspective on mortality and dying is that that is actually better than being here because of where he was going, but being here and doing fruitful work for Christ until that day is better for the sake of other people. And so here's the truth that we're going to discuss today, and we want to set up the series with it. Today's kind of an introduction to the series. Um, but here's the truth for today. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Everybody lives forever somewhere. And I know you're kind of going, well, you know, I kind of already think that, I've already believed that, or I kind of know that. Well, here's the deal. You might think that only Christians or religious people really believe in the afterlife, but here's what's, what's really in, incredible. It's a good assumption to make. With advances in science and technology over the last hundred years, we are actually bringing more people back from the dead than ever before right now. And I'm talking people that have flatlined and there is zero ele electrical activity in their brain and their bodies where researchers say it is not possible for them to have any conscious thought or lucidity at all. We are now getting people back from that state, sometimes up to 10 minutes. And those near-death experience people, which is a growing body of science right now, they actually are coming back with stories to tell. They claim to have gone somebody, somewhere when their bodies are lifeless. And this is not just an American thing. This is a global phenomenon where people report hovering over their bodies and seeing what's happening to them, and they can prove it. This is not this thing that they're like, well, you're just seeing that or you're just thinking that. Just one story out of so many. There's a book titled Imagine Heaven by John Burke 
where he studied a thousand people that have claimed to have these NDEs from around the globe. One story, um, there's a man that flatlined on the operating table, um, no electrical activity in his brain, no electrical activity in his heart, completely flatlined. Um, while they're trying to intubate him to get him back alive to put a tube in his lungs and breathe for him, um, while he's dead, they actually take his dentures out. They resuscitate him, and a week later, no one could find his dentures. So let me read to you from the book. Over a week later, the patient reported having an out-of-body experience and accurately described the room he was resuscitated in that he was brought in dead on, by the way. And then he, he also described the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the crash cart drawer. Note that the patient reported seeing the nurse and those present during his resuscitation, which doesn't occur unless someone is lucid and in an out-of-body state. He knew which nurse put his dentures in the drawer. They checked and found what in the drawer? His dentures. There are tens of thousands of these reported around the globe. 4.2% of people in the United States and Germany where they did a study um, claimed to have had a near-death experience of leaving their body at death. Um, that's one out of 25 people. And of, a lot of them don't share because they don't want to sound crazy. So they say nothing. So many have had the same experiences that doctors and scientists who study NDEs, their conclusions are really remarkable for scientific people. Um, uh, over, there's an there's a article that's written, John Burke writes in his book, over 900 articles on NDEs were published in scholarly literature prior to 2011. This is eight years ago. The Handbook of Near-Death Experiences chronicles 55 researchers or teams who have published at least 65 studies over 3,500 NDEs. Many have come to the conclusion that there is life after death. Alternative explanations have been proposed over the years, but none make as much logical sense of the evidence, of the evidence as the simple conclusion, there's life after death. So now it's not just religious people and pastors. You can be saying, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that because you have to believe that. Well, it's not just people like me that are saying and believing that. Scientists are coming along and saying, we cannot explain. We cannot explain how this many people around the globe have very similar experiences with core common experiences that actually line up. And this is what's fascinating about it. Over 1,000 people John Burke studied doesn't matter what faith background what, or lack of faith background. It doesn't matter whether they're Hindu, Muslim, believers, Buddhists, atheists, Christians. It doesn't matter what continent they are from, whether they had biblical knowledge or not. What almost all of them report have core elements that line up perfectly with biblical scripture descriptions of what happens when we die. And this is what he says. None of them, even Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, describe their religion's description of their God in heaven. Almost all describe the Jesus in heaven talked about in this book. And it doesn't matter what belief system they're from. It doesn't matter what they were told growing up. Their experiences tend to fill out and add color to the story that we find in the picture of heaven that we find in this book. So is there life after death? Yes. Everybody lives forever somewhere. Not only do people of faith believe this, but scientists say the evidence points in the same direction. And what people share lines up with the Bible more than any other known literature. So when it comes to what that living will look like in the afterlife, 
I want to give you a little taste today, and also I'll tell you this. So today I want to give you a little taste of what heaven's going to be like from the book, and actually uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more next week. Um, today is a little bit of a taste and perspective on it. Uh, next week is um, uh, we're going to unpack heaven and hell a little bit more and talk about the two gates that lead to each. Week three is going to be a real deep dive into the specifics we find in the Bible, which are corroborated from people that have actually had NDEs that claim to have gone there, um, and we're going to kind of put those two together and paint a really cool picture of what heaven's going to be like in week three. And then week four, we're actually going to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is all wrapped up in this. When you start talking about heaven and the afterlife, all of this needs to be discussed. And we're going to take four weeks out of it. And I just want well, to give you a taste of it by telling you my journey on this whole topic of heaven. Um, I grew up going to all kinds of churches with my mom and my brother. Um, heaven always sounded great and boring at the same time. It was like I held both. It was, it was like a better alternative than hell. I didn't want to go to hell. But when they talked about heaven, they're like, we're going to sing forever. I'm like, ah, you know, it's like they, all these stories of, of people saying stuff and what we're going to do in heaven, none of it ever sounded fun, sitting on clouds and harps and stuff. Um, John Eldridge in, in his book, The Journey of Desire, really describes um, what I was like. He says, nearly every Christian I've spoken with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We have settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our hearts sink. Forever and ever? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. And we lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find out what life we can. That was me. I grew up, man, I heard about heaven, I got my ticket punched, but I didn't really want to go there. In fact, I, 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 I want to kind of tell you where heaven was in the way I viewed the world when I was in my, in my mid-late teens. Um, I, I had committed kind of early mid-teens to um, being a virgin until I got married. This is a total guy thing, by the way, but guy perspective. Um, you will laugh at me for this, hopefully, um, and no judgment. Um, but I distinctly remember praying and going, Jesus... Can you please hold off on coming back? And can you please not, like, let me die before I get to have sex? Because I really want to try this. Like, that was just it. I remember praying that specifically. Jesus, please, just let me do this one thing. That was it. That's what I'm, I'm like. I'm like, this is just what, it's just like a guy, right? It's like, it's like God, I just want to have married, um, married sex with no guilt or shame before I go to heaven, before you come back. So I go on about my life till I'm 24 years old. Melissa and I get married. And at this point, at 24 years old, I'm like, okay, Jesus didn't come back. Check. I'm still alive. Check. I had married sex. Check. Like, it was like, woo, did it all. Okay, Jesus, you can now come back. But here's the thing. I did not still think about heaven at all. Because who really wanted to go there? Because it just seemed so not what I had it wanted it to be. It didn't seem like a place I wanted to go. Until tragedy entered into my life. And this is just really interesting how heaven flipped on its head for me in my life. 1997, it's December. I'm helping a lady change a tire. Um, it's at night. I'm standing behind her minivan. A girl going 50 miles an hour slams into the back of the minivan um, with me standing behind it and just uh, obliterates my legs, okay? I don't even know how I made it through the accident. I don't know how I'm alive today other than the hand of God being on me. I got literally hit by a car going 50 miles an hour and crushed between two vehicles. 
So they, uh, the, the lights go out for me. They take me to the hospital. They don't even think I'm going to make it to the hospital. They call ahead and they said, we have a train wreck. Get the, get the crash room ready. And, and they, they just don't know. They get me into the hospital and they find out they don't have a pulse in either foot. They take me immediately to surgery. Through 20 hours of surgery, 24 units of blood, um, uh, they lost me twice on the table, which I am still ticked about this. Nothing. I have no memories, no light at the end of the tunnel, no NDE. I'm like totally gypped here, God. Um, it's okay. I'll be there someday. So they lose me twice on the table. They finally end up after, after about 12 hours, they have to amputate my left leg about three inches below the knee. And they put my right leg back together. And it was hit as hard as my left leg that they couldn't save, except for the lady who I was helping had a hitch where my left knee was kind of, when I was standing, I was standing right next to the hitch. So my left knee got a lot more impact than my right leg. So they put me back together. They put me in a coma for 10 days. And I literally wake up Christmas Day 1997, and I know nothing's happened. I don't have a clue. I'm like, I'm just waking up, and all of a sudden, my, 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 uh, my wife and the doctor are talking about somebody who had lost their leg, and I cannot figure out why my wife keeps asking questions about this guy, and I feel sorry for this guy because I don't realize it's me. I kind of put it all together. I realized maybe they're talking about me. I stop them mid-conversation. I'm like, are you guys talking about me? And they just, I knew in that instant that it was, it was me they were talking about. And my world, as I knew it, just exploded into pain and suffering and loss. I mean, the leg that they saved was an absolute mess. There were tendon damage, nerve damage, um, bones were shattered. I saw, I've seen x-rays. I mean, you're talking 80 to 100 pieces just shattered inside of, of, of the skin, drop foot. I have pain with any movement. Our life literally went from 24 and 23 years old, excited, newly married. I was a two-sport athlete in college. Everything going for us. All of a sudden, I find myself in a wheelchair for four months. I'm learning how to walk again. I'm learning how to use a left hand that has extensive nerve damage. I still can't feel three of the fingers on my left hand. I'm using a walker for a year, and now I'm living with pain almost every step of every day. And I will just tell you, this has continued for 22 years. It's one of the reasons why I sit down when I teach. I would love to stand when I teach because it's just a better communication style. But if I do, I pay for it the rest of the day of just, just pain. It just hurts. It just, it's, it's not a, a, a great existence when it comes to how my body feels. And so it's during this first year of recovering in pain, and that is back when literally any movement in my body was just, it just almost put me into convulsions with the pain from all over area. I needed a really intense drugs to keep the pain at bay for a couple of months there. And I remember in that first year, just kind of dealing with this new reality of pain and suffering and loss and just tragedy, which I wasn't expecting. Who wants that? That I read this passage in 2 Corinthians about heaven that I want to read for you. And this passage is so important because of the hope it gives for what comes next. And I'm just telling you, as I read this passage of Scripture for the first time in my life, and I'd read it multiple times before, but for the first time in my life, the words jumped off the page at me because of what it described would someday and one day be because of the hope that it gives of what comes next. So as I read this, I want you to just, uh, it's going to be just a glimpse of what comes next from the Apostle Paul of what's waiting for us on the other side of death for those who believe in Jesus Christ. This is written by the, the same apostle Paul who said to die is gain. This is what he writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 8. He says, for we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, 
we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. And I'll just stop right there. What we have now as a body is like a tent. It is weak. It is flimsy. It is torn down easily. I mean, a big windstorm in a tent, you're gone. But what we will have will be like a house. It'll be sturdy and strong. We will have an eternal body, which in week three, don't miss it. We're going to get into detail of what will these bodies be like. There's so much in scripture that really explains what our bodies will be like. Verse two, we grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. What is that telling us? That our bodies will be physical. We will not be spirits floating around on clouds playing whatever spiritual harps we can find. Like that's not what it's gonna be like. We are physical beings. We will have a physical being for eternity. You find that throughout scripture. Verse four, we will live, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh, don't we, as we get older? (laughs) I'm like, man, the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm so tired. I don't know where this is coming from. But while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And it's like, I'm not telling you something that you don't know. These bodies we have now grow weary. They break down. We sigh and groan. The bodies we will have will not grow weary ever. Can you imagine never being tired again? Can you imagine never being sick again? Can you imagine never being run down, never feeling like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, never feeling like you can never get ahead, never dealing with chronic pain or chronic illness or fatigue? Verse 6, so we are always confident. Can you be confident in this? Yes, we are always confident. Even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord, for we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. And what really what Paul is describing is that the place where we are going will feel like home, and it'll, be, it'll feel more like home than any place you've ever been. I don't know if you've ever just experienced that coming back from a long trip or, or maybe when you went off to college and you came back home, just that, that idea of home and where, you're, where you belong and where everybody knows you and loves you if you had a growing up experience like that. But it's like it'll be more home, the greatest, deepest sense of home that you've ever experienced. Other passages tell us it's a place where the cares and worries of this world that make us tired and weary are going to pass away because of the beauty and wonder and presence of God every tear wiped away, no more pain, no more sorrow. And I'm just telling you, as I, as I read just this passage back then, heaven changed for me. Heaven actually became a place I wanted to go. Heaven actually became a place that my heart kind of leapt towards being someday. Heaven being a place where when the pain would spike, I would just remember that there'll be a day that I won't experience pain anymore. There'll be a day um, where I'll have a restored body. And so at 24 years old, for the first time in my life, I began to live with an eternal perspective. 
I began to, to, to long for my heavenly home, and I've already decided what my first stop is going to be when I get to heaven. I'm going to the leg shop and getting it back. That's it. Like, I already know. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get that thing. It's waiting for me there. It's got to, it's got to take me around. It's going to show me the place. Like, that's the deal. Um, but here's the, here's the thing. Like, for me, this verse just became real to me in a completely new way. And I'll just say this. If I just stopped there and we didn't take three more weeks and I just read for you that passage of Scripture, isn't that a place you want to be someday? Isn't it? If there's a real place like what I just described where that is possible, isn't that a place you'd want to be? So let me give you what I believe is the most important part of this series, and that is giving you an eternal perspective. It's giving you an eternal perspective to live your life by and live your life with. And uh, I want to use an illustration for that. So, J.D., if you can bring that out to me. Um, oh, it's going to be Travis. This is my son. This is my second son, Travis. Can we give him a hand? Thank you, buddy. <laughs> He's like, I'm a star. Oh, thank you, Travis. I'm good. There's no knot there. Well done, buddy. Um, but I want you to think of this rope as um, starting here and then just going on off into eternity. Like this is a never-ending rope. Um, and I want you to imagine this rope as, uh, a, as a timeline of your existence. And this red part really represents your time here on earth. You got a few short years here, maybe 70, maybe 80, maybe 90. And then you've got eternity. You've got this. And then you've got this rope that just goes on forever. Compared to eternity, our time on this planet is just like what Scripture tells us. James 4, 13, look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're, gonna we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. Now, that is not to be discouraging, believe it or not. It's not meant to belittle anybody's life. It's actually about perspective. It's about perspective compared to eternity. Your life on this planet is so short. It's here just a little while, and it is gone in perspective of eternity. And what blows me away for so many of us is all we think about is this. All we focus on is this. And we go, oh, here's my life, and I can't wait I can't wait to get, to get here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work all this time so that I can enjoy this little bitty part right here at the end, and I, we're consumed with this little bitty part. Am I going to get to travel? <laughs> we're consumed with this little bitty part. Am I going to get a big house on a lake with a boat and two jet skis and have coffee every morning while the sun comes up? I have never thought of this before in my life. Is that what I'm going to get? <laughs> Is, is, am I going to be able to get the house up, uh, up in the northern part so that I don't like burst into flames every day in the summer like I do down here? Like, like we, we, we focus our entire lives on this little bitty part. We obsess, we obsess, we obsess over this little red sliver of our life. But what about the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years that we're going to spend in eternity? The writers of Scripture implore us to change our perspective from focusing everything in our life on this and beginning to focus on this. Colossians 3, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, your vision, your mind on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden 
with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Paul is saying, live with an eternal perspective. This life is important, but it is not all there is. This life is meaningful, but you will not spend eternity in this life. Don't live and focus and obsess so much over this part of your life that you miss out on this, this part of your life. Live with the hope of heaven in your heart that there's a better place waiting for those who believe. Use this time on earth to live on mission, to fill up heaven with as many people as we can find, to fill this part of heaven up. Which gets me to the response I hope that we can all have as we go through this series, and that is this, if heaven is real, then you and I can have real hope. Real, real heaven equals real hope. Real heaven equals real hope. If heaven is a real place, then you can live with real hope in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul writes, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Heavenly perspective. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot, that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. When you have the right perspective that heaven is a real place and you can know for sure that you're going there, hope is something that can be your daily companion. And I will just tell you this, I know it is mine. When my troubles seem overwhelming, hope is my companion because it reminds me that here is temporary, that there will be another day, hope of one day being with God in heaven. And when I have that hope, my current suffering doesn't seem as heavy. I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you just feel like the world's weight is crushing you. And it's like, I've had days like that. I've had moments like that. I've had weeks like that in this life. And it's not just dealing with physical pain. It's all aspects of life. And then there's this ray of hope that just reminds you that here is temporary. That someday this will end and I'll get all of this. It's a great story from Ann Landers. Um, uh, she writes of a woman that was diagnosed with a terminal illness and given three months to live. She asked her pastor to come to her home to discuss her final wishes. <clears throat> and she told, she told him which song she wanted sung at her funeral, what scriptures to read, and which outfit she wanted to be buried in. <clears throat> and then she said one more thing. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And the pastor was surprised, and the woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and potluck dinners, I always remembered that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. And it was my favorite time because I knew something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie, something wonderful. So I want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand and wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork because the best is yet to come. And the pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he bid the woman goodbye, and he realized that she had a better grasp of heaven than he did. And that's how we're to set our hearts on heaven when things get tough, when we have idle time, when we're struggling with 
illness, when we're struggling with people in our lives, when we're struggling um, with, with just the dysfunction of this world, when we have moments of hunger and unmet needs, we need to remember that here is temporary, that God has prepared a place for us where all of the worries and cares and concerns of this world will pass away and we will be in his presence. Randy Alcorn, he wrote a book called Heaven, and he says this, we need to stop acting as if heaven were a myth, an impossible dream, a relentlessly dull meeting, or an unimportant distraction from real life. We need to see heaven for what it is, the realm we are made for. If we do, we will embrace it with contagious joy, contagious excitement, and anticipation. And so I want you to listen to a song for the next few minutes to just wrap your mind around this. Um, before we play this song, we're going to receive our offering. Um, and so I just want to say to those of you that are new here, you're visiting, let the basket go by. We're not interested in your resources. We're just grateful you're here. This service is actually our gift to you, and we're glad that you're spending time with us. For those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And we just say thank you, God, for blessing us enough to give, to give back to him so that he might use our resources to further his kingdom. And for those of you on mission with us, thank you for being on mission with us. But during this next song, I want you to just allow your mind to be set on heaven. And I want to give you a verse to set this up because for those that believe in Jesus and serve him... Um, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the moment that we die and we stand before him, which scripture says every one of us will stand before Jesus someday. And to those who believed in him and served him with the way they lived their life, this is what he says to them. Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Come and share your master's happiness. What will it be like when my pain is gone and the worries of this world just fade What will it be like when you call my
What will it be like when I hear that sound? All of heaven's angels crying out, singing holy, holy, holy are true hope in heaven. That is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God says, I offer you eternity with me for believing in my son, the one who was sent to earth to die to pay for your sins and my sins, so that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And I will just tell you one of the greatest joys of my life is being able to stand on this stage every Sunday and invite people to invite Jesus into their life. Because it's an eternal decision. And we're going to get into it a little bit next week, the specifics of it. But I want to give you an opportunity. If you've been coming here for a while and today is your day and you want to know for sure that when you take your last breath here, you will take your next breath in heaven with Jesus Christ, you can know that today. And I don't want to do this to scare any of you. It's just an, it's just a, it's an offer. It's a gift that's given to you. And so I want to invite those of you that are ready to step across the line of faith to do so right now and invite Jesus into your life. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, everybody in the room. And I just want to say this. If you are ready to accept Jesus Christ, you can pray with me. You can take my words and make them your own. Say them from your heart to God's. You don't need to say them out loud. It's more a posture of your heart. But you can say something like this, um, God, today I surrender my life to you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus, God in the flesh, to earth to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe that he rose three days later, defeating death and purchasing forgiveness and salvation for every single one of us. And I accept that truth today. 
Jesus, I invite you into my life right now to be my Lord and Savior. Give me the assurance that comes from your Holy Spirit living inside of me that my future is secure. Give me a hopefulness for heaven someday. And help me learn how to live my life now for you in a different way than I've ever lived. In your holy name, amen. And if you prayed with me, I just want to encourage you to do two things. One is tell somebody. Tell somebody that maybe brought you or that you know has been praying for you in your life. And I'd like for you to stop at our starting point area out in the lobby and just um, let them know that you prayed today. And we'll give you a Bible and let's let you know how we can help you grow because we want to help you grow spiritually. And for the rest of us, I want us to just spend the next few minutes just celebrating and singing and worshiping God. Um, it, you know, it's one of those moments where we get to respond with thankfulness. And so I want to invite everyone of you to stand up with me, if you would, right now. And as we sing these lyrics and they begin to ring true in your heart, I want to encourage you to let your soul sing through your mouth. doesn't matter what you sound like. God hears your heart as you sing. Um, and I know the first song is going to be well-known. The second song is a new song. And so I just want to invite you to respond to God and all that he's done for us over the next few minutes. <laughs>